Hi, I'm Haley. And I'm Sydney. And, and we're, we're to, to dive, dive for. Okay. Hi. <laughs> Uh, I'm Haley. I'm Sydney. And this is the first episode of To Dive For. So we've never done a podcast episode before. (laughs) (laughs) And we're playing around with the audio as we're recording this. So this is going to be pretty awkward, but just bear with us through the weirdness (laughs) and we promise it'll get better. And we figured for our first episode... Um, We would introduce ourselves and talk about why we wanted to start a podcast, and we have a couple interview questions that we're going to ask each other back and forth so that we can give you guys kind of a better idea of who we are and what we do, um, and also kind of introduce the interview style that we'll hopefully be employing throughout the rest of the podcast with some of our really cool guests. Yeah, and we really just wanted to create a space where we could learn from people of all diverse backgrounds um, and lots of underrepresented groups, because as we know, uh, women don't hold the majority in diving or marine science. So a little aside here, just to clear some things up. While we know that women are becoming more well-represented in marine science as well as many other STEM fields, uh, there's plenty of work to suggest that there is still disparity between and amongst different genders, including some work by Laura McCullough and colleagues from the University of Wisconsin-Stout in 2019, which suggested that women had a lower frequency of holding leadership positions in STEM, as well as some work by Legg and colleagues in 2023, which suggested that although 50% of all PhDs in oceanography worldwide were being earned by women, there were still inequalities in the first author papers, grants awarded, and different honors that these people were receiving. These metrics may even become more disproportionate with women of ethnic minorities or people of underrepresented genders or sexual orientations, although this is less documented than the metrics with male and female comparison. Uh, Additionally, in the dive industry, we see this as well, where the average entry-level diver is a 27 to 30-year-old college-educated male, and the gender ratio of new divers is still about 40% women to 60% male, and this is increasingly smaller and a smaller ratio for professional divers. It's interesting to find this because although women make up a lower proportion of the divers, It has actually been documented in a study by Ergens et al. in 2017 that a lower percentage of fully certified females than males have experienced decompression sickness, and life-threatening and psychologically challenging events were also less common amongst females, as were adverse health effects. Back to your regularly scheduled programming. People with unique perspectives and provide um, that insight to other early career scientists, early divers, just people interested in the ocean in general, um, just create a really open space to have those conversations. And we're hoping to bring like a, a woman's touch to this conversation because this conversation has been had in, in various forms throughout the years and oftentimes our voices are kind of left out of that conversation uh, as we've both experienced in our own personal paths. Um, So especially as we both work up through higher education, which is 
becoming more and more prominently uh, female within the marine science field specifically, but remains uh, male-dominated in other science fields. And um, really interesting individuals within the field um, with all sorts of different backgrounds. For our first couple episodes, we're actually going to interview some of our close friends or colleagues that we work with. So you can expect to hear about what it's like to be a woman in the dive industry in some of our upcoming interviews, as well as some subfields within the marine science larger field. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. You want to introduce okay. yourself? Yeah. So I'm Sydney. Um, I go by she, her pronouns. I was born near Buffalo and Rochester, New York, uh, so Western New York, and then I moved down to Vero Beach, Florida, and that's where I'm currently at for my master's degree, and I'm getting that degree at FAU Harbor Branch Oceanographic Institute, and I moved in with Haley, and that's how we met each other. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Haley. I also use she, her pronouns, um, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I went to undergraduate... Uh, at Baylor University in Central Texas, and I kind of traveled around, did a bunch of different stuff, and ended up here at Florida Atlantic University Harbor Branch, uh, where Sydney and I met. We live together, and we both work in the Voss Lab, which is a coral reef health and ecology and molecular biology lab at this university. So we met doing some really cool work and have a whole bunch of really cool stories to share with you guys as a result. And we've met lots of really cool people along the way. Yes. All right, Sydney, what drew you to the water? I think it started when I was really young. Like, I would say even, like, elementary school. I grew up in the country, so I wasn't really, um, I don't know, I wasn't in a big city. I had to go outside to do anything, and that's where I spent most of my time. So I would constantly be playing outside, building forts in the woods, playing in the creeks. Um, But then my family would always take family vacations to um, different beaches like Virginia, North Carolina, Florida. And we'd always go to aquariums too or science museums. So I think that was always just like being outside was one level and I loved it. But then like going to the ocean was like a whole new world. And from a young age, that really made me want to continue being near the ocean and studying it and it's really funny because I have pictures and like writings from like third grade where I'm like I want to be a scuba diver but of course it's all spelled wrong s-c-o-o-b-a yep scuba (laughs) but it's just always been a part of my life and everyone always thought my career path would change Um, but it's remained solid all the way since I can remember which is Really exciting and unique because I feel like a lot of people don't have that same experience. Yeah. So unlike you, I had kind of the opposite experience or I mean, at least a little bit later experience than you. Um, I also always loved the outdoors. I was camping and stuff from a very young age, but I didn't really live anywhere near where the water was. Um, And my family would sometimes take trips to the beach in Texas, but not quite as often. And really kind of what drew me to the water was actually experiences up on the Chesapeake Bay. So my like great, great, great grandfather squatted on some land up there and ended up passing down that land through a couple of generations. So my extended family has a little bit of property up on the Chesapeake Bay and the Rhodes River confluence. 
and pretty much everything around us or around that property now has been um, taken or bought by the Smithsonian. Now, like nobody will develop around it. So it's just like this cute little paradise that only our family yeah. really can visit. And so there, I was there from a very young age, but I was always in like this bay river water. Like it was not coral reefs. It wasn't pristine. <laughs> I would catch fish. I'd go shrimping. I'd catch minnows and I'd you know, learn about the ecosystem from the ground up. So I learned about all these different trophic levels through interacting with them and through going crabbing in the mornings and um, through swimming and getting stung by the jellyfish and realizing that certain times of year the jellyfish were worse and it usually had to do with the amount of rainfall that they were getting in the whole year cumulative prior to the big jellyfish blooms. And so um, kind of learning about the way that water quality and also different environmental parameters impacted the ecosystem from the ground up year after year. Um, and so from that, I became super interested in the ocean or just in the water in general. And then when I graduated high school, I kind of had an inkling that I wanted to go into marine science, mm -hmm. but nobody would take me seriously. Like no one would offer me internships and stuff until I had scuba certified or had been scuba certified. So my dad invested in my future and said, hey, I'll get you scuba certified. And my first ocean dive ever, we were coming up on our safety stop and this big giant manta ray came in and was like backflipping and filter feeding and hung out with us for like five minutes. And I surfaced and my dive master looked at me and said, well, that was the best dive you're ever going to have. So you better quit while you're ahead. Yeah. And that like the rest was history. I just it's I could funny. not get enough of it. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that because my dad, like it went about the same way, like he knew I wanted to continue in this field. So I graduated high school and I wanted to go do an, um, a study abroad and some internships that I was applying for. So he was like, you need to get scuba certified. And we got certified together. Mm -hmm. Of course, it was up north in Canada in a stone <laughs> quarry. And I was like, okay, this is cool. And then went to Little Cayman for um, a summer for a study abroad trip. Um, well, I was an undergrad and I was like, oh my gosh, coral reefs. I want to study these for the rest of my life. Like, this is so different and so amazing. Yeah. Okay, so what kind of education or like what level of education do you have? Yeah, so I'm currently a um, master's candidate. I got my undergrad degree from Stony Brook University on Long Island. Um, I got my bachelor's in marine vertebrate biology and a minor in ecosystems and human impact. Um, and now I'm getting my master's in biological sciences, and I'm studying coral diseases and coral restoration um, with a main focus on coral genetics and how we can use that to inform restoration in Florida. And then I will be going on to get my PhD at James Cook University, um, studying more coral and algal symbiont genetics. Super cool. So how about you? I, like I said before, got my undergraduate degree at Baylor University. I got a Bachelor of Science in Environmental Science with a minor in Biology. And then I kind of took a little gap year, and then I came here to Florida Atlantic, where I am now a master's candidate as well, planning to defend my master's thesis at the end of March here. Woo-hoo! Woo! <laughs> and then, um, yes, my I, Master's of Science in Biological Sciences is what I'm hoping to earn here at the end of the semester 
And then I potentially will be going on to further education, um, although I'm not exactly sure what that will look like yet. So more to come on that. Stay tuned. <laughs> okay. So you mentioned diving. Mm-hmm. How long have you been diving for? And what level of dive education do you have? Like what certifications? So I said I've been diving since I graduated high school, which was in 2016. So I guess now I've been diving for just about seven years. Um, I have a little under 500 dives under my belt. And I am a master scuba diver trainer through PADI as well as an AAUS, which is the American Academy of Underwater Sciences uh, scientific diver with a depth certification of 100 feet. Ooh, baby. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Um, yeah, so I've also been diving since I graduated graduated high school. So it's been about five years, I think. And currently also a AAUS scientific diver through the university here for our, my research. Um, but then also a Patty rescue diver. And shameless plug, Haley taught me my rescue diver, <laughs> and you should take yours with her, too. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was such a fun class. It was yeah. a good one. So we've been talking all about marine science and diving, which is good because that's what this podcast is yeah. about. But uh, I kind of want to explore like who we are outside of that, too. So I know you have a ton of different passions and hobbies outside of your work, so tell me a little bit about them. Yeah, um, so I guess the main one um, would be I have my own sustainable ocean apparel company. Started that in my senior year of high school. It's called Tidal Tees Apparel, and that was kind of my way of trying to make a positive impact on the world through art and science before I actually got a degree in undergrad and then went on to higher education. So I combine my art um, and print it on sustainable apparel and donate 100% of profits um, from that to different ocean conservation nonprofits. So one of my big passions is art, and I try to combine it with science as much as possible, whether that be underwater photography or making logos for shirts or just painting in my free time. But I also really enjoy paddleboarding. Um, just got into running. And You're also a birder. Don't forget I know. about that. Anything outside. So, yeah, I've been birding a lot recently. That started during COVID. And being in Florida, the birds are crazy here. And it's such a good time. And they're always near the water, where I always am. It's perfect. It's ideal. Yeah. And cooking as well. Living with me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we both have our cooking nights. Um, and... Yeah, I think those are the main ones. Super cool. Yeah, I I actually wrote that question for you because you just have so many like well-developed passions outside oh, of you. <laughs> work. But I wouldn't say that I necessarily have the same like well-developed passions that you do, but I do I'm kind of more of a generalist, I would say, where I just kind of dabble in a lot of things. So, I love paddleboarding and kayaking and hiking and camping and backpacking but I'm not great at any of those things like I'm I'm not like I don't know I don't I don't spend a whole lot of time doing any one of those things I kind of like to divide my time evenly amongst different hobbies um so I've recently kind of gotten into climbing a little bit um went and bought a bunch of backpacking gear I'm hoping to do a couple backpacking trips 
I run. I similar to you, just like anything to be outside. I yeah. I spent a little bit of time learning to surf, and I'm awful at that, is what I learned. <laughs> but uh, hey, you tried it. I tried it. <laughs> so yeah, um, and I also have been really excited about developing my ability to operate boats as well. So that obviously goes hand in hand with diving and marine science, but it's been really fun to kind of work on the operating side of it just because it, I feel like it gives me a well, more well-rounded view of the entire situation when we're out on the water. Yeah. So that's something that I um, have been spending a lot of time on that isn't directly science related. Yeah, and that's super cool because, especially where we are right now, like, well, and I guess everywhere, most of the boat operators are male. Mm-hmm. And it's such a rigorous process to get checked off to drive boats, especially through the university for divers. Yeah, especially with people in the water. And while getting your master's degree. So yeah. it's very exciting and just shows like you can do anything you put your mind to. Yeah. Okay, so then what kinds of things do you envision yourself doing in the future? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Scary. <laughs> Okay, so as of right now, I'm planning on getting my PhD, um, making a big move to Australia since I didn't have any luck finding uh, programs I was really passionate about here. Um, So I got a really cool opportunity to go study on the Great Barrier Reef. Um, But then in the future, I'm really looking to potentially start my own lab, um, be able to mentor students, eventually teach students, but I really want to keep that balance between field work and lab work. Mm -hmm. So I know we've discussed in the future potentially starting our own marine institute or coral restoration group um, out on an island in the Caribbean somewhere and just providing a space for scientists to come and do research and also provide different opportunities for long-term studies, reef Mm -hmm. monitoring. And I know both of our kind of passions for coral um, and coral reef ecology started at similar marine institutes Mm -hmm. out on islands in random locations. So I just feel like it holds a special place in our hearts and it'd be cool to give back to the next generation in that way. Yeah, so kind of the same for me along those lines. Um, Not exactly sure what my immediate next steps are going to look like. I've got a whole bunch of irons in the fire right now. But in (laughs) the long term... I definitely am interested in starting some sort of a like coral restoration NGO kind of thing, um, or at least working at an existing one. And the reasons, kind of like you said, some of the reasons I'm really interested in that are to kind of give back to that community and invest in a community that meant so much to both of us, but also to incorporate the voices of people who are present on that island, right? So um, a lot of times in science in general, the voices of people who are not as highly educated or who are um, not white males um, can oftentimes be kind of drowned out. And I think that one of the most impactful parts of having a location on an island that is surrounded by corals is that the people who are on that island witnessing the reef every day are truly the most impactful resource that we have. Mm -hmm. And so it would be great to be one of those people to be out on the reef providing long-term monitoring data to scientists who are looking to travel there, who are looking to do research there. 
but also to utilize the voices of the people who live on that island already or who are from that island or who are native to that island and to kind of give them a say or a voice in what's happening with their reef as well as learning from them because they've been interacting with that system for far longer than many of us have so they have really valuable insights and also like a lot of manpower that we as scientists just don't have and i feel like those are also the voices and the people that care the most about the reef because their livelihood is directly tied to it exactly yeah so i think that working with those people groups um, can be really impactful and that's something that i that's one of my major goals in in life or aspirations is to be able to kind of work with work in that field or that sector a little bit more than I do right now and I think that passion for outreach and connecting with people is part of the reason that we wanted to start this podcast it's kind of like a a first step and just expanding our horizons and our outreach yeah and our impact yeah I think that I think oftentimes in this field impact is reserved for those who have like put in the blood sweat and tears and years and years of work into it which is not incorrect like those people also deserve to have impact in their voices Um, but I think that there's also a role and a place for people who are earlier in the field or people who are from outside of the field to be able to offer valuable insight and especially voices that are classically not really listened to in this field so I think that is one of the things that I am hoping to accomplish with this podcast is yeah to give ourselves voices even though we don't have PhDs and 20 years experience in the field 30 publications yeah but also to give like friends of ours or other marine scientists early career dive professionals things like that give them voices as well in the field so yeah yeah and show the next generation or upcoming scientists and divers that things don't have to stay this way and we can make a positive impact and everyone's voice matters And also hopefully to show everyone that uh, if you're excited to do something like we are to do this podcast, you don't have to be perfect at it. You can just jump in and you guys are going to watch us evolve as we get better at this and practice at it. Um, But hopefully that this acts as some sort of encouragement that you too can do big things that sometimes seem intimidating and sometimes the best way to do it is just to jump in. Yeah. Or to dive right in, but um, (laughs) (laughs) he's sitting here with the jokes. (laughs) Dive puns. Um. Okay. Well, I think we kind of covered what our goals for this podcast are. Uh, Back to a little more play. (laughs) What is on your dive bucket list, or even a travel bucket list, or just a bucket list in general? The list is so long, and I feel like, so we both watch the podcast, or listen to the podcast, National Park After Dark, Yes. and they always say, <laughs> adding it to my list, and the list is-, is so long right now. Honestly, literally same. I relate on a deep emotional level to the girls in that podcast. Yep. <laughs> but I think my top, like, I can think of top three definites. Okay. Um... I feel like the top would be Raja Ampat in Indonesia. Okay. Middle of the Coral Sea. Mm-hmm. Supposed to have the greatest diversity of corals mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. And so many like macro critters. I feel like the photography would be amazing. And just seeing that coral cover. Every yeah. inch of the reef is covered. And yeah. as a coral scientist, that's, that's my dream. Mm-hmm. And then I would say 
under that would be um, I really want to go to Iceland, mm-hmm. and I always forget the name. Sofra. <laughs> um, dive in between the tectonic plates, because that's supposed to be the most clear water on the planet. And I think yeah. that's so cool. You can reach your hands out and touch both sides of yeah. the tectonic plates. And I'd have to get a dry suit certified for that, which I think is a fun challenge mm-hmm. and definitely something I want to accomplish. And then I think my third one, it's only third because I will be diving it very soon. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, the Great Barrier Reef. And I'm going to lump Ningaloo Reef yeah. in there with it too. So just the Australian reefs. Barrier Reefs. Yes. Yeah. Super cool. I um, I will actually be getting my dry suit certification soon, hopefully, with any luck. Knock on wood. Um, but yeah, I... It's been a long time since I've taken a dive class, so I'm really excited to challenge myself. And be on, like, the other side of it. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've taught a lot of classes, so it'll be exciting to be a student again and, and be bad at something and then work really hard to get better at it, yeah. you know? Um, so, yeah. Let's see. What are my dive and travel bucket list items? I'll try to pick different ones because <laughs> all of the ones you just listed are also on my list. Um, but I really want to go to the Galapagos. I really would like to kind of expose myself to some ecosystems that I don't typically dive, right? So coral reef ecosystems in general, super cool. But yeah, kelp forests or, um, Galapagos in general is like a very unique place because they've got cold water currents and cold water Mm -hmm. upwellings, um, as well as like different times of year they have different migrating creatures that come through and so it's super interesting even though it's like a little island and it's known to be um, very biologically diverse and it's actually off the coast of Ecuador I believe which means it's usually pretty temperate up top or I mean tropical up top so it's not cold on the surface on, on the land but the water can still be cold so you can get cold water organisms and warm water organisms kind of meeting each other which is super cool that's where like the hammerhead migrations also go by yeah. there right yeah there's those there's um there's marine iguanas there oh, which yeah. are really cool uh it's the only species of iguana that is adapted to actually live in mm-hmm. the ocean and so they live on the land most of the time but then they can hold their breath for long periods of time and their primary food is the algae on rocks underwater so they have to get in the water every day to go eat and then they like make a treacherous climb up the rock walls <laughs> while the waves are crashing so yeah i want to go dive in the galapagos and see all the crazy things going on out there um i also would love eventually to dive in cuba if i could they have a reef system called the gardens of the queen and i could say that in spanish but i will butcher it and i will sound really silly (laughs) but um yeah it's supposed to be one of the most like pristine untouched reef systems in the caribbean because we haven't had as much tourism going there traditionally right um so it's supposed to be really, really beautiful as far as Caribbean coral reefs go. So I think that would be really cool. And then I'll just say the Red Sea also, oh, just to yeah. give something different. Of course, uh, Raja Ampat and like all of the Coral Triangle yeah. is on the list. But Red Sea would also be super unique, super cool to see just different species of coral and different other things living in there. Um, also, lots of really cool wrecks in the Red Sea, I've heard. Mm-hmm. So if you're a wreck diving, if, if wreck diving is your thing, <laughs> <laughs> Red Sea. 
I feel like another one we mentioned kelp forests, but I feel like off the co- off the coast of California, like Catalina Island. Mm-hmm. I feel like or Monterey. Yes. Mm. I don't know why, but after I watched um, Octopus Teacher on Netflix, yes. I was like. I knew kelp were beautiful, but like all these shots underwater yes, with the little yes. sharks and the octopus and all the urchins. I was just like, oh, yeah, I need to go. Even though it'll be freezing, hey, I need to go. That's when your dry suit comes in handy. I know. I know. <laughs> Got to get certified. <laughs> Speaking of traveling and diving, what is the best trip, either work or play, that you've ever been on? Um, and if you can't think of anything for that, what's the craziest field story you can think of? Uh, off the top of your head diving with sydney in bonaire yeah honestly that (laughs) trip was pretty good um so sydney's referring to a trip that we took this last summer and we went to bonaire which is a island in the caribbean but owned by the netherlands and they have some of the most beautiful coral figures Mm -hmm. um they're they it's kind of just like this little gem that's been untouched by so many of the coral stressors in the rest of the Caribbean. So they harbor species of coral that are essentially extinct in other places around the Caribbean. Um, and they harbor just an incredible amount of biodiversity. So I feel like that's probably my favorite, most recent trip to dive anyway. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's been some really... I have a lot of crazy stories, but of course, as soon as as soon as soon we ask the question, all the <laughs> stories leave my brain. What about you? Oh, gosh. Um, I think the best, like, diving uh, trip I've gone on has been Bonaire. I've been twice, but I think because I had, like, more experience, more certifications, and I had my nice camera set up the time we went mm-hmm. um and just because we've been diving with each other for so long mm-hmm. now that it's like just second nature mm-hmm. so it was just a super cool trip and then being able to go back to some of the dive sites I had been to previously and look at them in a whole new light because mm-hmm. I've been studying corals now and mm-hmm. I can identify species and be like oh my gosh this one I haven't seen in all of Florida yeah and just like a whole looking at it through whole new eyes so. absolutely yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of craziest, like, field story. Um, well, one of our sites here in Florida that we study, and I also dive as an instructor a lot, is a site in West Palm Beach, or, like, several sites, several dive sites in West Palm Beach, Florida. And um, in West Palm, the current is generally, especially in the summer, pretty strong. So as a recreational diver or when I'm instructing, we always do drift dives, which means the boat doesn't moor up. It just drifts with the divers and the divers don't try to stay in one spot. They just let the current carry them along the reef. Um, I call it like an underwater water slide. But <laughs> Lazy uh, river. <laughs> yeah. But in uh, science, when you're sed- studying something that is sedentary on the bottom, you can't exactly do a drift dive. So a lot of times we're doing moored up dives on our specific sites. And as a result, we have to kick against some pretty gnarly currents. So there was one day that we got blown off of our site and we um, deployed a deployable surface marker buoy or a DSMB. And we were waiting for our boat to come you know, follow our SMB and make sure they picked us up. And um, 
like in West Palm Beach, there's a lot of boats around. And so I was hearing boat motors come and I was getting really, really nervous. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, what if it comes too close? What if they don't see our SMB? What if they don't, don't see us and something happens? And then as the motor was getting really, really close and I was getting more and more scared and I was like descending a little bit to like the 20 foot stop on my safety stop. And next thing I know, I see the two dive ladders of the back of one of our boats come by. And I realized that it was actually a recreational dive boat that had come by and found our SMB and had like followed us the entire safety stop to make sure that no other boats came near us and that everybody knew that we were divers. And so when we surfaced, uh, they radioed to our school boat and everything was safe. But um, that was probably one of the more stressful moments I've had underwater, but also it just kind of spoke to how incredible the dive community is, mm-hmm. especially in West Palm Beach, where um, everyone's just looking out for each other and for other divers, and they don't care if you're on their boat or not. Everyone's just kind of looking out for each other's safety and their best interests. So yeah. it was nice to feel uh, like I'm in a safe community of people who care about our well-being while we're diving. Love that. I think the craziest work story, I always, okay, there's two of them and they all involve sharks. (laughs) Um, Oh, I know the one you're going to tell. Okay, the first one, I'll do the the negative one first and then the positive one second. The first one, as Haley was talking about, we dive in West Palm Beach a lot and those sites also attract a lot of sharks Mm -hmm. and we constantly have bull sharks out there lemon sharks some nurse sharks Mm -hmm. but this one story it was probably some of my first months working here and diving in west palm so i was dropping in with i think three other divers and we were all going down to one of our outplanting arrays where we have corals outplanted on the reef and we have to do monthly monitoring just to check in on their health so I've been expecting sharks. Every time we drop in, there's always some big bull sharks that hang out there. And for some reason, I always drop slower than other people. Mm -hmm. I think I might just not be like overweighting myself as much as others, but I always am very conscious and always clear my ears really good (laughs) as I go down, especially because we negatively drop in on these sites so that we can get to the bottom before the current sweeps us away. So all my dive buddies, super speedy, they're to the bottom, kicking to try and find the array where we have all of our corals outplanted. And I have them in my sights, I'm just dropping slower. And all of a sudden I turn around me and there's a giant bull shark, which I've been diving with them a lot, so I know that they're not like aggressive and they're not gonna come eat me, but when you're alone, yeah, mid water column and it's murky, you're just hanging out with a big mama bull. I was like, okay, I have a dive, buddy. It's a bull shark. <laughs> I was like, okay, remain calm. If I breathe really fast, they're going to come really close to me. So I just had to like calm myself down in the moment. And I eventually met up with everyone and we did all of our reef monitoring as normal. But that was the time I had a bull shark as a dive, buddy. I like it. But my more positive shark story... Also in West Palm, (laughs) all the stories are in West Palm, Um, I was coming up from one of these reef monitoring dives with uh, my dive buddy, Gabby, and we're both at our safety stop, just around 15, 20 feet. We had just started our safety stop, and 
we're sitting there just looking at our dive computers and the viz was beautiful this day it was like 60 foot viz Mm. and we're just looking out over the reef seeing if we can see anything cool on our safety stop and a great hammerhead swims by comes toward us is just like circling us for probably like 20 to 30 seconds i had enough time to pull out my work camera snap some pictures of it and it was amazing just like the perfect way to end a dive and that was the first hammerhead both of us have ever seen underwater and this thing was like 12 feet wow just that's a beautiful beautiful moment yeah that's so exciting i love coming up from dives like that and as soon as my head hits the surface i just can't stop like can't help but think I cannot believe that I do this for a job. Like, I can't believe this is my work. It's so exciting. And I think you were driving the boat that day, and the water on top was completely flat and glassy. Mm. It was such a beautiful day. It's so wonderful. All right, cool. Well, we're kind of getting close to the end here, so we've got a quick, fun, few little... Uh, like trivia questions about Haley and Sydney for you guys, and then we'll wrap it up. So I'll go ahead and ask you questions because I feel like I was talking so much about sharks there. Okay, <laughs> you ask me first. Okay, what is one weird fun fact about you? Hmm. Oh man, now I can't think of a single one. Well, I am just a weird person, so there's that. I'm very loud. Um, very excitable. I'm kind of like a golden retriever of a human being. Um, oh, I own a snake. That is a good one. Yeah, I own a ball python. So his name is Ka, like the snake from Jungle Book. And I inherited him as a rescue snake. So I don't know how old he is. Um, if he is even a he. If he even is a he. I decided I was going to name him Ka anyway. So it didn't really matter to me. Um, And yeah, he's super cool. I have some really cool snake sheds that I get from him. And I even had a stained glass piece made with some of his shed inside of it by Aaron Glassworks, shameless plug. But it's super beautiful, really cool. And it hangs in my window and um, sends little rainbows all around our bathroom where my cat chases them. So yeah, super fun. What is a weird fact about you, Sydney? It's not super interesting, but... Um, I have, like, a little mug full of ice cream every night before I go to bed. That's just, like, my little midnight snack. And the sugar never keeps you up. No. You're just a crazy woman who loves to eat her ice cream. Yeah, so if you go to our house and open (laughs) our freezer, there's probably at least two tubs of different flavored ice cream in there. I always come downstairs at night to, like, get my water before bed. And I see Sydney like hunched over her mug like a gremlin. And I'm just like, oh no, it's ice cream time. <laughs> you gotta end the day with a good scoop of ice cream. This is true. This is true. <laughs> okay. On to more marine ocean related topics. What is your favorite marine organism? And I know there's too many to choose from. I know, honestly. I... I want to see the basic answer of manta rays, but I know that's like also a lot of other people's favorite animals, but it's kind of special to me because of the experience that I had with them when I first got in the water. And so I'll say that just remains to be my favorite marine animal. Every time I see one, I lose my mind a little bit. It like 
it almost feels like a spiritual experience to me because it just calls back on like the very beginning of who I was as a marine scientist. So it it kind of brings everything full circle and is a very connected experience for me. Whenever you talk about manta rays, I always think of the grandma from Moana yeah. <laughs> and how you would totally turn into a manta ray, oh, like as your spirit animal. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That would be it. <laughs> Mine is also basic. I mean, obviously corals, but yeah. aside from that, I am in love with sea turtles. Yeah. <laughs> and I just through all my internships, I've had like very hands-on experiences with them. I've gotten mm-hmm. to dig up uh, turtle nests um, with different researchers and help release any stragglers from the nests um, back to the ocean. So seeing baby turtles. But then I also worked at the New York Marine Rescue Center um, when I was at school at Stony Brook and got to help rescue turtles that had been impacted by humans, whether that be um, entanglement in fishing gear, um, ingesting plastic, getting hit by boats, um, and then also with climate change, we're having these um, larger um, and more frequent cold snap events. Mm -hmm. And these events are just cooling down the waters really quick up north. And these turtles travel up north to feed on different crabs and um, just get different food sources throughout the summer. So when this cold snap happens quicker than normal because Mm -hmm. of climate change, these turtles are stuck up near Long Island and Cape Cod. Yeah. And um, I got to help go find those turtles in the field and help nurse them back to health. And it was just such a cool experience to go into work every day and help these endangered species mm-hmm. um, and try and reverse some of the negative impacts we've had on them. That's super cool. All right. What's your favorite dive boat snack? You gotta, you gotta say dried mango. I, I mean, mean, honestly, <laughs> I was introduced to this from a friend of a friend. It was actually like one of my friend's sisters. We were all on a dive trip together, and she had just gotten certified. And she was very outdoorsy and like loved camping and backpacking. And she had just stopped at Trader Joe's on the way to the dive and picked up some dried mango. And I was like, yeah, this is weird. And then when I got up from that first dive and I had some, I was like, well, this is going to be my whole personality. This yep. will change my life forever. And then I introduced Sydney to it on our first dive in the Keys, and the rest is history. So good. And we just got a secondhand dehydrator. <laughs> so we've been chopping up mangoes, yes. making our own dried mango. It's so good. It's been amazing. That'll That's mine too, so yeah. I can't even. <laughs> I mean, chips are always good, something salty, but... Yes. Having nice dried mango always hits the spot. It does. All right, what's your most useless skill? (laughs) (laughs) We've been having this conversation all week and asking all of our friends this question because we heard it on the radio. (laughs) Um, Mine's very weird. It makes up for my (laughs) ice cream eating. (laughs) Um, When I was in high school, so I grew up in the country, um, and I raised pigs. So there's one of them. But on top of that, not only did I raise pigs and show them at the local fair, I also went to the National Livestock Judging Competition where I um, judged all different types of farm animals like cows, um, beef and dairy, goats, sheep, pigs. So, and it's even better because now I'm a vegetarian. (laughs) So I love it. (laughs) 
just a, the weirdest useless skill mm-hmm. yeah yeah i i can't remember the useless skill that i actually came up with it was a really good one though but some useless skills that i've thought about since this conversation happened a couple weeks ago are that i can macrame which isn't that useless but it's also not that useful so you know i i don't know i make pretty pot holders for my plants um but the other random skill I have is that I can, like, clean fish. Like, I can fillet fish and clean them. <laughs> I don't know why in my head. Like, I knew where you were going with it, but I just thought of you, like, scrubbing a fish underwater. Because <laughs> I knew you, like, worked at the aquarium and were, like, a mer- like mermaided. I, I, that is another useless <laughs> skill. I can mermaid. I was just picturing you, like, with a little squeegee, like, scrubbing a fish. And I was like, okay. Yeah, very useless. Well, the reason that cleaning a fish is useless for me is because I'm also a vegetarian. So I have been out on several fishing trips with my friends where they'll pull up fish and they don't know how to clean them. So I'll fillet and clean all of their fish and I don't eat any of it. So pretty useless for me. But mermaiding is a really good one. I, (laughs) I interned at a zoo and for like kids' birthday parties, we used to put on mermaid tails and jump in the fish tanks. And it was really funny because we had two adult green moray eels and they were like six feet long. And whenever you were mermaiding, I didn't wear goggles or a mask. And so I just couldn't really see what I was swimming into. And the eels really loved the bright, colorful tails. And so you'd like be swimming and all of a sudden you were like swimming into right next to an eel. Like the the big six foot long eels would just be like, hey, how's it going, pretty lady? And you'd be like, cool, please don't bite my fingers off. (laughs) So useless skill, eel whisperer. Eel whisperer, that's it. I'm I'm an eel whisperer. In our field, though, I feel like that could be useful. Like, hey, where are the good corals at? Yeah, like, hey, Mr. Eel, I know you've made this coral your home, but can I sneak by and get a picture of it real quick for Zillow? <laughs> Thanks. For Zillow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, all right. So at the beginning of the podcast, we asked what drew you to the water, and that's something we're hoping to kind of do every podcast with all of our guests is just kind of ask that first question of what got you interested in the water. And then at the end, we want to conclude with what keeps you coming back to the water. So that'll be our last question of the hour. And I'll let Sydney start with an answer if she has one. I mean, I just feel like the same thing I was talking about earlier with like being outside in nature since I Mm -hmm. was super young. Um, I just feel like being outside brings me um, a lot of peace Mm -hmm. and with the ocean especially, that peacefulness, experiencing a an area that, like, what, 1% of the world gets to experience the underwater mm-hmm. world through scuba diving. Yeah. And I just think there's something magical about that, seeing something that not many others get to see. And um, the ocean also sparks my creativity, so I'm able to do photography and also paint and draw what I see and share that with others and use it as a way to get everyone to care about our oceans and their plight. But it just brings me a lot of happiness, and I just really feel strongly about making a positive impact and trying to save these ecosystems that we've been ruining and degrading for generations now, and I just want to leave this world better than I found it. Oh, that's beautiful. (laughs) It's a very altruistic view. So I think what keeps me coming back to the water is just the like childlike exuberance that I experience underwater. Like I 
there's hardly another moment in my life that I am as excited, as peaceful, as in tune with myself and my surroundings as when I'm underwater. And I think part of that is out of necessity. Like when you're underwater, you have to be focused on what's going on around you for your own safety, for your enjoyment, for the safety of others in my case. Um, but also I feel like it's it's a very calming place for me because you're forced to listen to your breath. Every movement that you do is tied to your breath inherently. And so it's very meditative, but also I just like, I hit the water and I literally feel all of my worries just melt away. Like I am excited again. I'm um, curious. I'm inquisitive. I just can't even stop and think about the stressful things going on in the real world up above. I just don't, I don't have the, the bandwidth for it. All I have is full of the like wonder of the ocean and I think that's what keeps me coming back is that feeling that I get when I hit the water and after a long day of diving, that really satisfied exhaustion. That's where, the best feeling. Yeah, you're just, you're tired, you're worn out, you've worked really hard, but you're so satisfied with what you've done. And so like, for me, I'm very proud as well. Like, I just yeah. think it's a really incredible industry and I'm, I feel proud to be a part of it and also just very fortunate and like lucky to get to be one of the few. You're right experience that world so that's what keeps me coming back and hopefully it'll keep me coming back for years to come i don't don't foresee getting out of the water anytime no. soon you're gonna have to drag me out of the water <laughs> <laughs> all right well that brings us to the end of our first episode of to dive for thank you everyone who tuned in and please share this podcast with any other ocean lovers science lovers diving, anyone you can think of. Um, we're really just trying to make a positive impact and share um, really interesting stories with everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget to head on over to our website where you can find information on submitting your great stories for our Fish Tales episodes. Those will come out about once a month and you can find the form to submit your stories online. Our website is under titleteesapparel.com. There's a little header at the top that says to dive for a podcast. And if you hit that link, we also have merch for sale. And you can also find us on Instagram at to dive for podcast and on Facebook as well. Don't forget to like and follow and share with your friends. See you guys next week. Bye.